Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Uh, we've been in a season where we've talked about, just over the last couple of weeks, living in the now. Been looking at the life of two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, two prophets who constantly inspire me because they're, they're so different and unique to some of the other things or other people that God utilised. They come on the scene and they start doing the miraculous. They start causing people to enter in and encounter God in the supernatural invading the natural. We talked about Elijah a couple of weeks ago, how after his greatest victory, he ran away and how all he needed was an encounter with the living God and to put himself in a position where he could hear even in the midst of the earthquakes outside and the the rain and the storm and how poignant it is for you and I today that in moments like this, we're coming out of earthquake moments often. We're coming out of situations where we've got the wind beating against us and the rain pouring and we all have an opportunity to press in and hear what God's saying to us. Last week we talked about Elisha, who was Elijah's, and I know this is complicated. We've got Elijah on one hand and Elisha on the other hand, who was his successor, who was busy ploughing a field, who was going about his life and had an invitation to go on an adventure with God. And in that he had an opportunity to pull back, to stop the story there to live out his life as a plower of a field. But instead, when the opportunity came to follow the things of God, he was willing to burn the past and enter into the new. And today, just to finish this thought series that we're on about living in the now, I wanted to talk about what it means to take it and go. And we're going to pick up the account of these two great prophets, Elijah and Elisha, at the end of Elijah's life. Now, the the significant thing about Elijah is that he had lived his life as a prophet unto God who had worshipped Him, had honoured Him, had given everything. And he's one of two people mentioned in the entirety of Scripture who was given the honour of bypassing an earthly death to be caught straight up to heaven. Now, I I wish I knew the dynamics and I wish I knew how to explain exactly how that worked, except for it was God's grace and God's call on Elijah's life that he would bypass death itself. So he knew this was coming. I I don't know how you know something like that is coming. Does God send you an email and say, there's a Google calendar appointment next week. Make sure you're available. Chariots from heaven are gonna come and take you up so you do not taste death for yourself. I, I don't know how that works, but he, he was aware of it. And it seems like many people were aware of it, especially the one he was training to be a successor, Elisha. And what we're going to look at right now very quickly is basically a road trip. I, I don't know if you like road trip movies, but this is the greatest road trip I think recorded in Living Scripture where Elijah and Elisha put their pedal to the metal by walking everywhere, (laughs) strap on their sandals, thongs, apologies to the Americans, and they go for a walk. And in this one day, Elijah knows it's going to lead to the moment that he gets caught up. And he goes on maybe a 
hit factory visit. He goes and visits some of the greatest places of significance in the lives of their people. And in there, at every opportunity, Elisha has a chance to stop, pull back and put pause on the journey that he has. I want to talk about take it and go. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 14, and we're just going to break this down. It says in 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were travelling from Gilgal. Can you say Gilgal with me? There we go, well said. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me, not you. Elisha has been serving the great prophet Elijah for eight years now. Could you imagine knowing that this is the day, the last day you're going to spend with the one you've been looking up to this entire time? And he's saying, stay here. God's calling me to go. Can you imagine the sense of doubt that might enter into Elisha? Again, I try to imagine being in Elisha's shoes. Would I start to say, well, what, God hasn't picked me? Well, I'm not good enough? Is there something wrong? Have I, have I done something to offend you in these eight years, Elijah? I mean, I did everything I could. I, I left the field behind and the, I burnt the oxen and the ploughs. I made a barbecue out of it, fed my family, left it all behind to follow you. And now I get to this moment. And you're about to go. And you're telling me that God's calling you, but I'm what? Going to stay here at Gilgal while you go to Bethel? But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they, they, not one, not the other, they went down to Bethel. You know, in this account, we're going to see them visit multiple places. And this first account is that they begin their road trip at a place called Gilgal. And Gilgal is significant in the history of God's people. Because Gilgal is the place of consecration and leaving the old behind. It's exactly what the place was. See, for generations, God's people previous to this had lived for 400 years as slaves in a nation that was not their own. They were a nation within a nation without a homeland. They, they lived out their lives in Egypt without any possessions of their own. And God eventually led them through their cries for deliverance out to victory. And as they led through a process of victory through the wilderness and spent years as doubt left their camp and unbelief died away, literally. And as they prefaced on the edge of entering into everything that God's promised them. They pass over and they spend their first night in the promised land in a place called Gilgal. Gilgal was the place where they consecrated themselves. I know consecration is not something we throw out in our conversations. It's not something that we drop in a text message. One, because I struggle to spell it without spell check. But it literally means to be set apart to choose to be different. Choose to be different, but better. And it's this idea that we come to God with an understanding that He's not the one to change, I'm the one to change. And consecration is the beginning 
of where He starts to change us. But we have to be willing to put ourselves in a position where we come to a place in ourselves where we say, I can't go forward unless You lead me and I surrender myself to You. That was Gilgal. And see, what happened at Gilgal is they left the old behind. Literally, if you read it out, they left part of themselves behind. And they changed so that they could go into the promises of God. And I think it's significant that Elijah and Elisha begin their road trip here. But the story could have stopped because Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. Stay at the place of consecration. Stay at the place of leaving the old behind. I'm going on to Bethel, somewhere different. And it's interesting that I think we're all given the opportunity in the journey of knowing God for ourselves to choose to settle and stay. Whereas God's already done the work. He's already done the work of setting us apart and changing us from the inside out and that we're actually called to leave the old behind and not camp there. And it's interesting that Elisha had the opportunity to stop his journey with the great prophet Elijah there and there and camp in what was. Imagine the doubt that he had to overcome. I haven't been invited onto Bethel, but yet he says, I am going to stick to you as close as possible. I'm not letting you out of my sight. I'm convinced for us as a people of God that we need to begin by putting ourselves in a position to say, God, will you change me? Where we come to God and say, will you allow me and work in me to leave the old behind? Will you take me to a place of Gilgal, but you are not called to stay there? Because here's what happens if you stay in Gilgal. If you stay there too long, you'll start looking around at what you left behind. And what you'll start to do, if you're anything like me, you'll start to actually try to put it back on. As if it's an old pair of glasses that don't work anymore, that you've laid aside and you've got a swanky new pair of Ray-Bans and you wear those instead. That you'd spend your time in Gilgal trying to put on the things that you laid aside because you're stuck. You're not called to be stuck. You're called to take the invitation to go on. So you take what God's given you and you go. The people of God are not called to encamp. The people of God are called to move forward and take ground. You are called to take ground. Goes on to say in verse 3. Well, let me pick it up in verse 2. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here in Gilgal. The Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Verse 3, when the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. I I don't know how he would have said that. Do you know how sometimes you get text messages and emails, you're not sure the tone of voice that's been used? There's a way of Elisha saying that to these sons of prophets. And it's interesting that they denote them as sons of prophets, not prophets themselves. Maybe there's people that's holding on to somebody else's gift and not their own. Maybe. That Elisha could have said that politely. 
I know. Be quiet. Or he could have said it the way I imagined him saying it. Yeah, I know. Shut up. I don't know. You read it how you want. (laughs) That's how I read it. Verse 4, Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me, not you, to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. See, Elisha had the chance to stay in Bethel. He left Gilgal, the place of consecration and change, leaving the old behind. And then they get to Bethel. And Bethel's another significant stop. It's like they're doing a tour of the Grand Canyon and pointing out all the amazing sights. And the amazing thing about Bethel is that in the history of God's people, that was where the promise to restore and rebuild, well, the the promise to expand and, and build a nation was really birthed from generation to generation. Because their forefather, their ancestor, the one they draw their lineage through as a nation, Jacob, spent the night there in Bethel where he used a stone as a pillow and laid his head down. And in that chance lay down encampment, he has a dream where he sees a stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And he has an encounter with God for the very first time himself. And God says to him, I'm going to build a nation out of you. You are going to be blessed to be a blessing. See, Bethel was the place of revelation and promise. He was given the promise for himself. Previously, the promise had belonged to his fathers and his grandfather, but now the promise belonged to Jacob himself and it became his promise, not their promise. And so Bethel was that place, that location where that happened where Jacob moved from it being their God that he followed to his God. And so it's all necessary for you and I in journey in relationship with the living God, as we put ourselves in a place of consecration and leaving the old behind, that we all desperately need to have our own encounter with God. An encounter where He's no longer the God of my friend. He's no longer the God of the person with the microphone. He's the God of my life. And He loves me. And He's called me. So it's a place of revelation, understanding and promise. We all need to know the promises of God for ourselves. Because it's by those that we can choose to take ground. But see, the thing is, if you stay there, a promise said is meant to be a promise actioned. See, if Jacob had stayed in Bethel that night and said, boy, I had a great sleep with a stone as my pillow. I'm gonna stay here again and hope for another dream, another promise. I I want more, I want more words. I want more promises. I want want other nice things being said to me. And it's all good. But see, at some point it has to move from knowledge to action. See, we desperately need the promises. We desperately need to hear God for ourselves. But see, that's got to lead to a life that reflects it. A lifestyle that reflects what we believe. See, 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 you prove what you believe by the way that you live. The way that we act, the way that we interact. And it does not mean that we have to be perfect people. We just have to be people who are willing to come to a perfect God to allow Him to change us along the way so we express His love and grace wherever we are. 
And so Bethel is a place where we encounter God, receive His promises, but we're not meant to stay there. We're meant to take the promise and go. Elisha had the opportunity to stay. Eight years of following the great prophet Elijah. He's been changed, he's been transformed. He's left the old behind. He literally burnt things down and he has encountered God for himself. But it wasn't enough. He wanted to take the promise and see it lived out. So they go to Jericho. Verse 5. Then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho, these sons of prophets are around. I wonder if these represent some of the people that chose to encamp themselves at certain moments and stay there. The sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yeah, I know, be quiet. Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord is sending me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them, elsewhere it says they, here it says the two of them, went on. I wonder if at this point Elisha's starting to break through. See how easy it would have been for him to say, oh, it's God's will for me to stay. He's calling the great prophet Elijah on, but not me. But he's not willing to accept that. See, Eight years previous, he'd been given the mantle of Elijah. He hadn't been able to live it out yet. He'd been given a promise. And he was unwilling to let go of this road trip until he saw the promise fulfilled. And it takes them to a place called Jericho. And Jericho is another significant location. Jericho was a place, I imagine, that was filled with rubble. But the most exciting rubble possible. So what had happened is God's people enter into the promised land. They have to fight for it, which I think is so unfair. Why would God lead me into a fight? I wonder if He invites us to live a victorious life as we learn to live the victory out in us. And the very first fight, they inquire of God. They say, hey, we're an untrained army. We, we have swords and stuff, but... Jericho is a city with massive walls that no army can overcome, even the best of the best. What are we going to do? So God gives them a strategy, a divine strategy. If I'm honest, a ridiculous strategy. You're going to walk around Jericho once a time for the next six days and you're going to just shout praise to me. You're going to walk out in your armour and your swords and everything like that. You're going to give praise to me and you're going to come back to your camp and you're going to say, well, that's my job done for today and hunker down. But on the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times doing this, praising loudly. And on the seventh time, you're going to give the loudest shout possible. And at the sound of that shout, the walls of Jericho tumbled and fell. See, Jericho is a place of faith and action moves from a place of consecration and change to a place of revelation and encounter and promise to a place of faith in action. Take the promise and see it put to work. And they shout 
and the walls come tumbling down. But see, I don't believe any one of us are called to live out our lives encamped in Jericho. Elisha had the opportunity and chose not to stay there. Why is that? You think, wouldn't you want to stay at a place of wonderful victory and grace? A place that you could celebrate, a place that you could mark. Like You could walk around that rubble for days and say, this is the sign of my greatest victory. But see, rubble gets old. Once you get down the walls, there's no other walls to get down. See, the way that we're actually called to live is that God in His grace is calling us from victory to victory, from glory to glory. And while I could never promise you that you will not live your life without a battle in front of you, that would be both naive, foolish and unrealistic. The truth is we live out our life in a fallen world. But the good news is we get to pray things like, God, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, invade this situation with Your will to see Your victory happen. And we're actually called to live our lives where we confront the Jerichos in front of us, see faith in action to see the walls come tumbling down and then allow God to lead us to the next place of victory. Notice I don't say the next place of battle, I say the next place of victory because every battle that God would lead you into, He is calling you to win. He's calling you to rule. See, He does that through changing us along the way to leave the old behind. He does that through giving us promises to grab hold of that would fuel the fire of our heart. And He does that by showing us and leading us faith in action that sees things shift. We have so much in common with Elisha. Because it is so easy to settle, stop, Attend a gathering like this and miss out the reality that we're called to live this out in our day to day, which you are, which I am too. The road trip ploughs on. Verse 7, 50 men, oh, now it's numbered, the sons of prophets. 50 men from the sons of the prophets came and stood observing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. I'm going to talk about what the Jordan is in a moment, but it's a crossing of the River Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, which was his cloak, which represented his prophetic role in the community, rolled it up and struck the water, which parted to the right and to the left. Then the two of them crossed over onto dry ground. When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. So Elisha answered, Please let me inherit two shares or a double portion of your spirit or your anointing. What you're saying to the great prophet Elijah is he said, I've seen everything that you've done and I actually wanna do more. You know, that's an okay prayer to have. It's okay to celebrate the great things. Maybe you're sitting here right now and today and you're in a marketplace quandary, whether you need a breakthrough in your employment or your business. And you've heard Regan's story. You know a healthy prayer to pray? To say, God, I celebrate what You've done in Him. Now do more for me. It's okay. Because hopefully your story inspires somebody else's story and we just multiply and multiply and multiply. Things are meant to get bigger and better as God leads us into victory. 
Verse 9, when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. So Elisha answered, please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. Elijah replied, you have asked for something difficult. It's something that he could not give himself. He was honest. But if you see me taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. We're about to see what God's will is. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire, I can only imagine this, suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. What he's confirming there is I see you. I see you. I see you. And if I see you, that means I get to be like you and even more than you. My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, when he could see him no longer. I just imagine him standing there in awe. I don't know if he went straight up. I don't know where he, he just, it's when he could see him no longer. He took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah. He left the old behind because he'd been consecrated. He'd grabbed hold of the promise and he was unwilling to let go of it. He had seen his faith in action so that now at this point, we had multiple opportunities to give up and stop. He rips off the old and grabs hold of everything that had been promised and he puts it on like it belonged to him from the beginning. Picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah, went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River. He took the mantle of Elijah, had dropped and he struck that water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He asked. He struck the water himself and it parted to the right and to the left and Elisha crossed over. I could talk about that section for hours because that's where I want my prayers to live. Having done all that. See, he didn't camp there where Elisha went up. He said, wow, this is the highlight of my life. Watching God utilise somebody else. Here's what Elisha understood. God wants to utilise me. Do you know that you... Sitting in your seat, the way that God views you, you are a minister of the Gospel. You're a warrior in the Kingdom of God. By being a member of a church, you're not a member of a meeting. You're a member of a tribe, of a people, of a holy nation that goes far beyond ourselves. And you are called to be like Elisha and pick up the mantle that God has for you. Strike the Jordan with it. See, the Jordan is the place of entering in. It's the place of propulsion. It is because if you allow me to just mention in my final thoughts, the Jordan is so significant, not just because that is the place where the people of God crossed over from slavery and wilderness and literally passed over into the promised land. It's actually hundreds of years after this event Historians and theologians say that a man named Jesus of Nazareth was taken to that very spot. 
There was another man in there standing in the water, a man named John, who we often call John the Baptist, who started a revival in that part of the world. A revival is where people come into a relationship with God on a mass effect. He started a revival where he let people know if you want to know God, you have to repent. Be willing to say that I don't have it all together. And it's not my will be done, it's your will. So repentance is this idea of I'll live a surrendered life. And he was baptising people in the water where they would go down into the water and they'd come out. And it was to symbolise that the old has gone, the new has come. That they've crossed over into the promises of God. They've been propelled into their future. So I, I don't know if you were here, but last Sunday night, we had a baptism tank set up here. We had 12 people baptised. See Thomas right there. He got baptised. Others got baptised. And I love it because we have two people on either side who official job title is they're dunkers. And they literally grab people. Well, they don't grab them. We're very kind. We say, cross your arms, stuff like that. And they, they, lower, they don't lower them. They propel them into the water and then propel them out to symbolise that we have all been propelled into a new life through Christ Jesus. Because Jesus Himself went to the Jordan, the place of entering in, the perfect One who had made no mistake, identified with you and I in our brokenness, and allowed Himself to be baptised in water. And as He's lowered down and He's propelled up, the Scriptures say immediately He came up out of the water and there was heard a sound from heaven, the Father who says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And they saw a dove, which represented the Holy Spirit, come and rest on Jesus. And from that moment on, Jesus propelled His public ministry where people encountered the living God for themselves. And everything leading up to this moment where we're able to stand here today because people of faith before us have taken hold of their encounters with God and not kept it to themselves and shared so that we can stand here today so that we can be propelled into the next. And I wanna say to you clearly right now as we stand out of the preface of the rest of the year ahead that we are being invited to be propelled into our future. That the new is here. And God is leading us by His Spirit. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.